This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now. After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nick Turn and Duncan Trussell. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast with David Nickturn on the Be Here Now Network. My name is Michael Cammers, your host and monologist. On behalf of all of us at Be Here Now and Dharma Moon, we sincerely hope this podcast finds you as well as can be, and we are grateful that you are joining us. Here at CSM, our guy David Nickturn discusses how to lead an integrated life involving spiritual practice, creative expression, and right livelihood with guests who embody and manifest these principles in their own life. And for this episode, we are very fortunate to have mindfulness meditation teacher, author, and mentor Kyra Jewel Lingo on the podcast. She was a longtime student of Thich Nhat Hanh, who carries on his message and practice of peace and an engaged Buddhism. So with all the violence, heartbreak, and grief currently in the world, this episode seems particularly timely. Before getting into Kyra Jewel's brief bio to set up the episode, we would like to encourage everyone to head over to dharmamoon.com and check out our upcoming events and programming, which include a six-week Buddhist studies course with Ethan Nickturn entitled Warrior in the World, The Path of Complete Engagement, a course exploring the Buddhist view of karma with David Nickturn and Larry Mermelstein, as well as our monthly community meditation gathering, which happens on the third Sunday of every month. And these podcasts are evergreen, so if you're listening to this down the road sometime, just head over to dharmamoon.com and there will be events up. Also, we would like to express our gratitude to the Be Here Now Network for post-production and distribution of this podcast on their network. We encourage everyone to head over to BeHereNowNetwork.com to check out their ever-expanding library of podcasts imparting knowledge from the world's wisdom traditions. Okay, that's it for promo stuff. Now we'll get to Kyra Jewel's bio to provide some context for this episode. 
Kyra Jewel Lingo is a Dharma teacher with a lifelong interest in spirituality and social justice. Her work continues the engaged Buddhism developed by Thich Nhat Hanh, and she draws inspiration from her parents' lives of service and her dad's work with Martin Luther King Jr. After living as an ordained nun for 15 years in Thich Nhat Hanh's monastic community, Kyra Jewel now teaches internationally in the Zen lineage and the Vipassana tradition as well as in secular mindfulness at the intersection of racial, climate, and social justice, with a focus on activists, black, indigenous, and people of color, artists, educators, families, and youth. Based in New York, she offers spiritual mentoring to groups and is author of We Were Made for These Times, 10 Lessons in Moving Through Change, Loss, and Disruption. She is also the co-author of the forthcoming Healing Our Way Home, Black Buddhist Teachings on Ancestors, Joy, and Liberation, coming February 2024 from Parallax Press. Her teachings and writings can be found at www.kyrajewel.com. Kyra would like us to let everyone know she is co-teaching a retreat at Spirit Rock Retreat Center entitled Spiritual Radicals, Engage Spirituality from Buddhist and Christian Saints and Bodhisattvas, Saturday, December 9th, 2023. It is available in person and on Zoom. All right, folks, that's it for our introduction. We hope everyone listening is taking the best care of yourselves that you can. We're all on the field together, and may we all do our best to tend to the part of the garden that we can touch. And now, it is our pleasure to share with you episode number 47 of the CSM podcast, We Were Made for These Times, with Kyra Jewel Lingo. So welcome, everybody, back to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast. and. Today, we are graced with the presence of Kyra Julinko, who is um, a, a Buddhist, I'm going to say, priestess, a teacher, <laughs> uh, an activist, uh, somebody who's been affiliated with the uh, Thich Nhat Hanh Sangha for many years and other communities of um, practice and she was uh, intriguingly a nun for 15 years is that right yes but it's nun, so hats off on that um and we're going to want to hear about that but just uh first of all Kyra Jewel, welcome to the podcast we're happy to have you here thank you thank you so much good to be with you <clears throat> so um you know we have a saying in my uh, community first thought best thought have you ever heard that yeah so yes. first thought was none. That that's a kind of um by most people's standards probably a radical choice mm. lifestyle. And uh, do you feel comfortable talking about sure. uh, that part of your life? I'm I'm sure. intrigued by it personally. Yeah. yeah. Sure, sure. Just whatever comes up. Yeah. <laughs> first thought. Yeah. Um well, I uh, I ordained when I was 25. I had gone to Palm Village for the first time when I was 23, like right out of college, and um, didn't wasn't expecting to become a nun. I just wanted to learn how to be happy, and mm-hmm. I wanted to find a spiritual teacher. Um, and as the more I really absorbed the teachings and 
practiced with the community, the more I thought, oh, this feels so right. Um, and so uh, I lived there for a year and then ordained when I was 25. In France? Mm-hmm, in Plum Village Monastery. And um, so it was a very beautiful life. Uh, it has its ups and downs, for sure, uh, mainly <laughs> created in my own mind. But, um, but it was a very wonderful training ground for um, transforming suffering and learning how to take better care of myself and be a better friend to myself. Um, and it was, you know, such a communal practice. Like some traditions are more um, silent and solitary, and this was definitely... Uh, collective practice so you were mm-hmm. bumping your rough edges against other rough edges all the time and kind of getting smoother through um, relational practice mm. and a lot of emphasis on you know wise speech and deep listening and um, looking out for the good of the whole um, resolving conflicts um, with with some skill so it was and it was a very international multicultural community Mm. so that made it you know also very complex and were there any kind of unique teachings on conflict resolution which i have felt over the last number of years is kind of the almost the most potent form of dharma we could bring Mm, uh, into this place at this time yeah Um, did you think they had some special kind of insight about conflict resolution? And could you share some of that with us, if so? Sure, sure. I think one of the things that is unique from the Plum Village tradition is the understanding that um, we need a regular practice of just um, maintenance of our relationships, which is, in in our case, it was every two weeks we would practice what's called beginning anew. And it would, uh, we would sit in a circle with fresh flowers in a vase in the middle. And the first part of the practice was just flower watering, was uh, a metaphor for expressing our appreciation for each other. And um, we, we always did that. You couldn't ever skip that. <laughs> you, that might be the only thing you would do, but you would never skip that. And then... Another thing that we could do in that beginning a new um, practice was express our regrets. So to look back at the past two weeks and say, you know, I was uh, unmindful in this um, situation and I think I may have caused harm. I'm really sorry. Or I haven't been able to be, you know, present in the way I would like to be because this is happening and I'm sorry. I'm, you know, so it's a chance to to express and like release those things because even you know it's not just when anger or resentment is is accumulating in us that we have um, you know ruptures, but also when regrets accumulate in us, we yeah. find our way to hide more and more you know in a relationship. So to clear all that out, we we start fresh and then we can really give ourselves to. Um, the relationships in the community. So 
those would be usually the, the two main things that would happen. We would share our appreciations, our regrets, and sometimes we would also share, hey, this is a difficulty that I'm having in my life that people wouldn't necessarily know so that, mm. you know, the community could be more supportive and people wouldn't take it personally. So someone might say, um, this is a long-term difficulty. I'm having my, my parent is sick at home and I'm trying to be supportive and, you know, and then the community can offer, you know, support in a different way than if they don't know that. So, would everybody be in, in, in a circle at that point mm -hmm. or was it a Everyone particular was, group or it was the whole group? How did you, so, how did so you if, if in the, so we lived, you know, nuns and monks separately, but in the same, it was all the same practice center, but there was separation. So the nuns would do this with the nuns, the monks with the monks. If there were lay, um, lay people visiting us in the monastery, they could join us. Or sometimes it would be a lay beginning a new circle, a monastic so it depended, but generally those who lived together were expected to do this every two weeks. And how many people would that be? That could be a so large group. It could, yeah, it could. I mean, when I first went there, we were small, so we were maybe 20 sisters. So, um, But then we grew over the years, and then sometimes there would be 60 sisters. And so sometimes we might do beginning anew in our cooking team, you know, the, the group that you would do the cooking rotation with, or you might do it with your, um, the group you ordained with or something like that. So we, there would also be times we could change up how we gathered, but in general, it was the whole community. It, it, it's, um, it's so lovely sounding and almost idyllic in terms of mm. the level of co cooperation and in inclusion in terms of everybody being, uh, by virtue of being admitted into that circle, somebody mm. who's open to and uh, willing to part self-assess and also be mm -hmm. part of a process like that. So mm -hmm. how would you extrapolate that into communities in which maybe, A, they don't have that kind of training, uh, and B, there's, um, you know, maybe historical hostilities or, you know, strong antipathies, and the people do not have this inclination to practice together in this way. Is mm -hmm. there like a... a, a 220-volt version of this for, for the kind of hot world that we live in? Yeah. Um, you know, well, let, let me just tell a story that's connected to this, and then I can answer that. So um, about, I think, four times in a row in Plum Village in the summer, there was a group of Israeli and Palestinian people that came together to practice there. And it was a huge undertaking just to get the Palestinians there. Um, but, but it was a group effort also involving many Israelis who really wanted to practice peace with their Palestinian um, counterparts. And so they would come for about two weeks. And the first week, they would all just practice. They wouldn't talk to each other. There was no gathering. They would follow along our our program of meditation every morning, a Dharma talk from Thich Nhat Hanh. This was a summer retreat, so it was a month long. And then um, walking meditation in silence, a thousand people walking through, you know, the plum trees and the, you know, roads of France. And then, you know, deep relaxation in the afternoon and a Dharma sharing in their own language. You know, there were facilitators that could guide in their own language. And after that whole first week, just practicing, the second week was deep listening just between the Israelis and Palestinians. 
and there were facilitators. And so the first, um, the first day, one group would just share their suffering. The next day, the other group would just share their suffering. And you could only listen when it was the other group. You couldn't respond. And then slowly, um, people began to see, oh, the other side also has suffering. And, um, and they began to connect more deeply and, um, you know, take each other's hands in walking meditation. And um, they formed a, a meditation sangha uh, that they, I think, continues until now, where they practice mindfulness together. This was 2004, I think. That's almost 20 years. Um, so that, that kind of approach of with a group that's really hot and there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of inflamed emotions, bringing the nervous systems into co-regulation through whatever means, whether it's singing or meals or you know, something that can get us into our um, parasympathetic <laughs> nervous system response. Mm. And maybe, in, maybe somewhat separate first, and then slowly, gently coming together in a way that's very held so that people can begin to see the humanity of, of the other side, but also feel like they are being received in their full humanity, that the other side is willing to listen, is willing to understand them. So that's kind of how I've seen it um, work. Would you say, I mean, obviously that's a controlled environment, you know, For sure. in which you can create uh, a mandala, you know, boundaries, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, a sense of uh, joint inspiration, joint aspiration. Mm -hmm. um, it just seems like at the front edge of that, uh, you know, of that energetic field when there's really serious conflict mm -hmm. and you don't have access to creating a controlled environment, how would you even how would you even be able to, how will we, how can we um, move towards an environment in which there's some possibility of dialing down the nervous systems? Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you even mm -hmm. get there from the kind of million degree furnace volcano yeah. erupting kind of energetic field? How would you get mm -hmm. there? Do you have any ideas about that? Yeah. Um, I think there are people who um, both groups trust like finding people. And this is where why spiritual practice is so important because there are people and they don't have to be spiritual teachers or leaders. They just have to be people with integrity who are compassionate, who are loving, who are solid, who are grounded, who, you know, I mean, you know, a mensch, someone who is you know, trustworthy and implicitly, you know? And so I think, um, you know, people who have maybe been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize or people mm -hmm. who have shown through their life's work that they are, um, you know, deeply, uh, yeah, deeply loving, deeply wise. Those kind of people can create a kind of field of, mm -hmm. of care, a field of trust. Um, also, I'm thinking of nature, of just how powerful and healing um, places of the earth are and what would it mean to try to 
you know, call upon those healing qualities in a place to hold such a process of reconciliation um, or just even deep listening. Um, I mean, I'm also thinking of the story of Jimmy Carter, who um, helped to really bridge uh, the divides, I think it was between Israel and Egypt in the 80s. And the story, as I heard it, was everything was falling apart, and it was like the last day or two of the peace talks. And Jimmy Carter went to one person and talked to them, you know, the leader, um, was it Sadat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and got got a picture of, of him and his family mm-hmm. and brought that picture to, mm-hmm. um, I can't remember the name of the Israeli prime minister at that time and then did the same the other way and that made all the difference and then the next day they were able to go forward and really come to a peace accord Mm -hmm. but it was that act of showing hey these people have families that they love they are family men they are you know Mm. connecting them on that very human level um so a place a per, you know, people that can hold that kind of process. And I mean, I can't, I can't emphasize enough how important third party actors are mm-hmm. in this, because I, I know such a big part of where we are right now in so many conflicts in the world is all the other interests that are sort of fighting proxy wars or, you know, conflicts through the two groups. Right. And so, like, as much as possible, figuring out how not to have that be uh, really uh, infiltrating and uh, messing with the process. Um, So you also, you know, are um, invested in social activism. um, and, And do you think you know, the same principles are underlying all the way through all the work that you do. I mean, you're, you're um, uh, presenting from a kind of very benevolent, compassion-driven, uh, you know, and also a tradition that really has developed some techniques and methods for mm-hmm. deepening and, and connecting with oneself more, connecting with others more. Um, but if, if you're um, um, out in the let's say nobody knows you're a Buddhist meditator and, and mm-hmm. you're entering a field of a social activism, which you're trying to affect change to mm-hmm. either the culture or the specific situation. Is there a language that we could find that would be like almost um, less colored by the Buddhist uh, perspective and the kind of well-being uh, community? And, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. you could get in there and somebody would you'd stop their mind in some way, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. shift the energy of a situation. I mean, I know that's a real powerful thing to ask, but um, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering mm-hmm. what your experience has been there. Yeah. Well, from what I've been hearing from, uh, you know, friends and colleagues who are very, um, very much involved in, in various social change movements and organizations, there's quite a, a reckoning happening in social justice movements at this moment where um, I know COVID hit a lot of organizations really hard. Um, someone who 
was an activist in a, in a national organization said probably 40% of, uh, we're at 40% power at this point because of COVID. Um, and so, um, I've also heard that, that there's, um, you know, a lot of unhealth in, um, you know, infighting and breaking down of, of coalitions or, you know, that there's, I mean, that's human, that's natural, that's happening all the time everywhere. But um, I think there is a, a, this, we're at a moment where folks in social justice circles are starting to ask questions of how can we do this in a way that's actually more successful um, because when we do have that uh, ability to be self-reflective and not only individually, but as an organization to question um, our motivations, our intentions, to review and evaluate our, our strategies working, um, when we have that kind of um, ability to stop and take stock uh, the work is much more effective. And there are many examples of this, of, of social justice activists who, when they um, incorporated more, you could say, spiritual practices, or you could just say, um, you don't have to call them spiritual, but uh, grounding practices in their work, they noticed their work began to be much more successful, first of all, because it affected their interpersonal relationships, their ability to, to work together well within their organization. But then it rippled out to, you know, so I think, you know, the, it's, the writing is on the wall for many people that there, there needs to be inner work mm. for outer work to be, to really have an impact. Mm. Yeah, it's um, you know, I we have our our um, our platform called Dharma Moon, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, this particular podcast is uh, based on a book I wrote called Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck, mm -hmm. which the the you know it's a light touch, but the the intention is to kind of decrease the divide between the spiritual domain and the uh, so-called secular mm. uh, world. Mm -hmm. um, which I found over the last 50 years of being involved with spiritual communities uh, and highly secular communities like the entertainment business, which mm -hmm. is very secular in its own way. Um, how, do, how do you bridge? Um, and in a way, you're summing it up by saying the inner work and the outer work. Uh, that's, that's an interesting, sim simple, simple way to approach. Are you working on an inner level or are you interactively working and that could you harmonize those two elements? Um, so I tell people who work for Dharma Moon, we have a staff, you know, people, I, and I say, this is the advanced course right here, because having been in a number of sanghas and you see people who portraying this kind of maybe somewhat idealistic uh, universe, and then they're like, you know, trying to figure out how to get a car full of people from one place to another. And all of a sudden, all the glaciers are firing and burning at, at a level that you go, Wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to be Dharma people, you know. So 
you know, in the tradition I come from, the Kalashas firing and burning is the ground of the mm. transformation. It's not the mm. it's not the instead of it part. That's yeah. when you really can yes. get to, to see what's going on. Yeah. So, um, mm. you know, uh, for that reason, for example, I didn't make Dharma Moon a nonprofit. Mm. I, I took that begging bowl aspect mm. away that, you know, we have mm. to appeal to people who have great karma and have a lot of money and mm. then they support the people who can't get their stuff together and, uh, mm. uh, you know, and, and afford to pay for a program, mm. <laughs> you know, like bringing those, uh, those uh, poles closer mm -hmm. together mm -hmm. so that everybody can become a manifestor at some level. Everybody can become a leader at some level. Everybody mm. can be a good student at some level. Mm. Um, and that if one person drops, the next person's ready to uh, to fill in, you know, it's not mm -hmm. like you lose a, a charismatic leader or something like that. A lot of the spiritual communities, they lose a charismatic leader, the whole thing falls apart yeah. uh, very quickly. So, um, you know, we're t we're talking on any level you want to uh, about any of those kind of issues. You know, we're just mm -hmm. getting to know each other. But uh, mm -hmm. so, is this your livelihood? What you do um, with them? Um, yeah. With the Dharma? Are you a, a pro yeah. professional Dharma teacher? Is that your game? <laughs> Never used that word professional, but yeah. uh, it is my it is my work, yes. Yeah. yeah. So have you mm -hmm. had to you've had to think about like coming from a volunteer and monastic community, have you had mm -hmm. to think about well, how do I deal with that aspect of charging for my classes and my Oh workshops? yeah. That was a huge uh, uh, a huge learning curve for me. Not only did I spend 15 years as a nun, but my first 14 years of life was in a monastic-oriented lay community. It was a Christian family religious order that was sort of, yeah, modeled on monastic values. And did you grow up in that community? I grew up. It was like a kibbutz. I was like, didn't see. I only saw my parents once a week for dinner. I mean, for a meal. I saw them in the morning and. You know, sometimes they put me to bed at night, but other people, there were other adults who were assigned to taking care of the kids. So the parents were all doing, you know, human development work and it was international. And what so, ages was that for you? How old so were you? birth, I was born into that community. Oh my goodness. Wow. Until I was 14. So, that's such so, a unique, that's a unique childhood for sure. It, it really was. And it kind of, you know, set me up for monastic life pretty well. <laughs> I think we, one person in our community said she was a child monk, you know, mm -hmm. uh, not by choice, but anyway, that's what it was. Um, so in that community, we owned everything in common. We didn't have, you know, personal property. We, we shared everything and um, the cars were owned in common. If we needed a car, we had to sign up, sign it out and, um, you know, hand-me-downs and very little money. So we would get a stipend. So very similar to monastic life. So but basically most of my life until I was 40 was in voluntary simplicity, either because my parents chose that for us or because I chose it when I was an adult. So then at age, you know, 40 to find myself out of robes and needing to make a buck, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, you know, was, you know, I had, it had been kind of rammed into my subconscious so deeply that to charge money was not spiritual, mm -hmm. that I, I had to go through many steps to, you know, feel comfortable charging. Mm -hmm. And, 
And I, you know, had to kind of undo some of that patterning that it was bad to, mm-hmm. to say, hey, this is what, how I value my time. You know, if you, want, if you want me to be here, this is what I need to support yeah. myself, you know. But eventually I was able to, to do that. And, um, yeah, and it's, it's not like it's all figured out. There's still times where I, you know, and I do things by donation, Plenty of my work is by donation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some of it is on sliding scale, which is sort mm-hmm. of, you know, in between. And um, yeah, and I, and I really try to, to practice generosity, uh, to offer myself when I can. Um, and uh, there, there are times I don't charge at all or, you know, get paid very little because it's something I really believe in and want to support. And, um, and then there are times when you're not expecting much, but, you know, a lot of generosity comes my way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it feels like a bit of a mysterious uh, way that things happen. But I think for me, what I've really, I think, begun to uh, trust is that I am going to have what I need. And if, if I don't need much, which as a nun, as a young person growing up in this community, I didn't need much and I had what I needed. And now I'm, I've chosen this householder life where, you know, there's a house, there's a car, there's a dog, there's lots of expenses and I need more and more is is coming to me. I'm working for it. I'm <laughs> charging for it in some cases, but it's like this, this feeling of, um, it's not about the money. It's about, am I doing what I'm here to do? Am mm-hmm. I in alignment with my purpose? And when I am, I'm taken care of. And it may not be through a dollar sign. It may be through friendships. It may be through other forms of generosity. And so I don't just count you know, the dollars, I count, you know, all the ways in which I feel life is holding me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, one of the chapters in, in my book is called defining success on your own terms, which mm. it sounds like you've done. Yeah. Uh, you're not just buying into a, a notion of that's externally uh, mm-hmm. rotated. Mm-hmm. You, you know, when they say in yoga, it's like external rotation or internal, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, a lot of us are externally rotated. We're really looking mm-hmm. outside of ourselves mm-hmm. for any kind of mm-hmm. feedback or satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Um, it, did you write a book about your, your experience? Um, I as, did. As, what's yeah. it called? Do you have it right there? Um, I don't have it right here, but it's called um, We Were Made for These Times, 10 okay. Lessons in Moving Through Change, Loss and Disruption. And, and uh, so say it again, just so everybody can kind sure. of wrap their mind around the title. Yeah. yeah. We were made for these times, 10 lessons in moving through change, loss, and disruption. And so you, you've um, identified 10 different sort of distinct um, particular approaches. So what's number eight? Oh, I have to... <laughs> Well, the first one is coming home, coming home to ourselves. That's number one. Yeah. The second one is resting back into the unknown. Okay. Um, 
a, a any of them is okay. Yeah, I, mean, I know yeah. how this is. You you move on from something. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while, uh, but there's um, weathering strong emotions, weathering uh-huh. the storms. Okay. You know, taking care of our strong emotions. Those are two. Um, another one is equanimity and letting go. I think that yeah. might be eight. Another <laughs> one is is um, practicing with the eight worldly winds. Mm, okay. There's nur- nurturing the good. Um, and yeah, yeah. So you know, you're you're. Um, I mean, obviously, Thich Nhat Hanh is your main teacher. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, and what an you know, and you you spent time with him personally. Yes. So this is a great gift. Would you say? Such a you know, great gift. Oh you know, it's, not, it's like um, yeah. you know, we we um, we have this story in the. Kagyu lineage of Tibetan Buddhism, where one of the lineage holders was asked, do you want to prostrate to the mandala of the guru or the guru themselves? And it, it prostrate to the mandala, which was a mistake. So when you have a human being who's embodying mm-hmm. these principles and you have access to that person, um, which in this case, obviously, such a weathered, seasoned bodhisattva, you know, is, is as rare as you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, anything you want to say about him uh, mm. that that comes to mind? Yeah. Hmm. I you just can, love... you know what we call it? Crying to the guru from afar. You can you can just <laughs> reach out across time and space and just say whatever you want. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I I feel so so grateful and so. It's like a blessing that's just like in every cell of my body for the rest of my life. That's how. I feel, um, but he poured himself into us. Mm. He absolutely poured himself into us. And he, um, he loved us so deeply. I could cry. Mm-hmm. Um, he, um, he took refuge in us too. We didn't just take refuge in him. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I remember one winter retreat. This was the rains retreat. We would always begin by prostrating to him, our teacher, and, you know, making the vow to stay in place for those three months. And he would offer us his blessing, his support. But one year he prostrated to us Mm. and he asked us for forgiveness and he asked us to please guide him and, you know, uh, help him if he was you know done anything that hurt us it was just the most touching thing but he he just loved us so much and he he always was saying um no one person is going to continue me the whole sangha is my continuation and and he set it up like that and it has worked the sangha more people come now to all of the centers than when he was alive and teaching and so there's this very beautiful, like he was so skillful in seeing what will help this continue and help as many people as possible. Mm. And it's by really infusing in the community the understanding that guru and student are not separate. Buddha and disciple are not separate. You know, that we all have awakened nature. We all can transform and and the community is the Buddha. The community 
is the teacher that, yes. you know, we, we together create this, you know, force field that is so powerful um, because we're not operating as individuals. Yeah. I mean, it seems as a skillful means that he chose that um, to, and you hear this about it, but uh, the Sangha would be the uh, the lineage holder. Absolutely. And it's something that, you know, that different times, different people handle different ways. Um, but I hear you to be saying there's no formal lineage holder or transmission of uh, the, the, the kind of the person who's responsible for holding uh, his, his, uh, heritage together it's it's well there's there's hundreds of dharma teachers that he's transmitted the lamp to um probably thousands at this point monastic and lay um but yes there's no one leader of the sangha that takes over from thai um as the head of the organization it's it's you know all the dharma teachers all the bhikkhu bhikkhunis all the lay sanghas is Kyra Jewel a name that he gave? So Kyra is the name my parents gave me, but when I was a nun, I was called Sister Jewel or True Adornment with Jewel. And so when I disrobed, I wanted to keep the name he gave me. So I combined it with my birth name. Yeah. It's so positive, you know, the refuge names. And, you know, I never heard a refuge name that was like, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> mud-soaked uh, nutcase of... Uh, of uh, you know, you know, lack of empathy or whatever. So it's uh, it's an interesting thing that um, I think people might, in some cases, not understand that the basic message in Buddhism is not nihilistic. It's extremely positive in terms yeah, of yeah. basic goodness or Buddha yeah. nature that everybody yeah. has it. Mm. Um, it's hard to recognize sometimes. That's for sure. That's challenging. Mm. Um, and and um, you know that's very uh, moving to me. Thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that that uh, mm-hmm. sense of because over the you know I started studying this in 1970. Mm-hmm. You know I'm, I don't think you were even born then, were no, you? I wasn't. I <laughs> okay. came along a few years later. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know um, my son was born in in uh, in 78. So mm-hmm. you're probably in that generation yeah, somewhere. 74. Yeah. 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 So. Uh-huh. Um, and it's interesting, you're in an in- intermediate generation where mm-hmm. a lot of the impact happened. And then and then um, there's a younger generation now that is uh, yes. very interesting to me personally. So at Dharma mm-hmm. Moon, we have a lot of young people, which is cool mm-hmm. by me. I'm, I'm, a, you know, I'm a musician, I'm a professional musician. Lovely. I like having young uh, energy around. Mm-hmm. We sort of made this kind of nice uh, connection with this guy, Duncan Trussell, who's a, a p- comedian and podcaster. So we've got mm-hmm. a lot of hipster kind of characters mm-hmm. floating around and mm-hmm. talented, you know, creative people. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been several generations and I'm, you know, uh, not an archivist of it, but I'm you know, enough curious about like the, the evolution of this ranging right back from people like that coming mm-hmm. to the West in the first place. Mm-hmm. There was nothing when I was growing up. Buddhism was like you read Siddhartha or something like that. You know, yeah. there was, and, and now it's, um, um, you know, the seeds of it are everywhere in the West. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would say it hasn't, it sort of diverged into a kind of secular offshoot mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. apps and the, you know, yeah. the kind of, um, you know, not wanting to engage the sort of traditional uh, and also culturally um, different uh, envelopes. 
of it. But the mm-hmm. next, what would you see as the next iteration? What do you think mm-hmm. coming up? If you, mm-hmm. if you could, if you could take out your crystal ball and look, mm-hmm. what, what would you see? I I feel like I know where I feel my edge and many people that I'm connected to. It's it's our planet. I mean, we don't have much time at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And uh, towards the end of Ty's teaching life, that was his main focus, was ecology and climate change and um, the inner transformation again that needs to happen, this real recalibrating of our own relationship to the earth so that collectively we could have a collective awakening. For me, it's, it has to be about a collective awakening, about mm-hmm. beyond Buddhism. It's not about Buddhism at this point. It's about humanity <laughs> waking up in time to um to have some kind of future you know nothing like i'm sure what we live now but um so i think for me it's it's about you know what what do we what do we really want for for life on this planet Mm. you know i'm sure you have uh you know have so many different kinds of friends but the ones who are extremely well read about the college ecological mm-hmm. system you know that like mm-hmm. i consider myself a kind of like gazing over the fence i'm trying to learn everything i can mm-hmm. uh but some people have had the bandwidth to really go deep into it and i got a phone call from a friend of mine like that about i think it was about nine to twelve months ago and he said we're done it's over and I, you know, I mean, I have to take it with a grain of salt who, you know, you, you take whoever delivers the message, you factor it into the message yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah. But this is somebody extremely well-read and literate yeah. about this. Yeah. And so we passed the point of no return. Do you have any, any yeah. feeling like that about the mm. science aspect of it? Well, I, I also have, um, you know, have heard many folks saying, you know, collapse is basically unavoidable at this point. Now, what that means is still, I think, somewhat in our hands. Definitely, we we are past the point. I mean, 75% of the ice in the Arctic has melted. We, we would be in trouble with 10% of the ice melting. And that's not coming back, you know. Um, not any time, you know in eons and so um i think um you know there's this book hospicing modernity there's this sense of hospicing modernity this sense of we have to go into hospice mode like how do we take the best care of something that's you know on its way out in a sense but i think for me a uh, an image that I find helpful is if you think of humanity being on a plane, all of humanity, and the plane is not going to reach its destination, it's either going to nosedive, or if people on the plane see what's happening early enough, they can have a gradual descent, a more graceful descent than a nosedive, because we're in denial that the plane can't stay in the air. So I think that's where we're at. We are going to, uh, many, many structures are going to collapse. 
I mean, we're seeing it already. I think COVID is sort of a, you know, a preview of, of the breakdowns that are coming. Um, but if we, if we start to really turn our awareness to that, and there are many groups and things that are doing that. I mean, Holland just had a court case where they decided to divest from fossil fuels as a country. I mean, that's huge. There are many things like that that are happening. People are waking up. And I think the more that can happen, the more we can save, the more we can use the resources and the capacities that we have now to build something potentially new out of the ashes that really can care for everyone. Mm. But, uh, but if we continue business as usual, then we'll have very few options uh, for, for any meaningful con- continued existence you know i like to think of meditating at the base of mount vesuvio or something like that or atlantis Mm. what would you do if you you know because there's another factor which is um the buddhist thing is you know in japan you know they say if you if you're having a uh a wedding you get a shinto priest but for a funeral you get a buddhist priest Mm. you know they know mm. how to handle that, and mm. Uh, mm. it's interesting. One of my one of my dearest friends passed a couple of years ago, and mm. we were in a band in college. Me and him, mm. and the third guy who is now like a, um, a, a, a fairly well known Zen priest in uh, in the San Francisco area, mm. and the three of us were not a, a rock band in high in college, uh, but. Uh, one of us, I'll, I'll leave the names out just to, yeah, I don't know how much exposure people would want or not want, but the Zen guy was so good with the body and mm. sort of this, you know, he, he was able to come in with the corpse and wash the body and mm. they're so grounded, the Zen people in that way, mm. you know, so earthy, beautiful. you know, That's and, beautiful. Uh, um, you know, so we say, you know, that we know, and you, you know, I'll just testify personally, the older you get, uh, the more uh, obvious impermanence becomes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, yes. I mean, in a way, Buddha was kind of a genius to get it at a very mm. young age. You, go, mm-hmm. you, you know, you look around, you go, well, what, what's that person over there? Oh, that's just grandpa. He's an old guy. You know, it's 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 normal. Uh, and he's going, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> that might be me in a while. So, yeah. you know, but right now you begin to really see, mm. um, my friend Mickey Lemley says they're firing in our regiment, you know, uh, you, you begin to see the engraved quality of that. And then you have to think about consciousness itself, whether, mm. you know, what do you really believe at the, at the, at the moment of death even, mm. or dissolution, mm. uh, what, what experience do you have of some kind of awareness, some kind of consciousness that is not simply a byproduct of a physical uh, chemical reaction in, in the brain, you mm-hmm. know, and you, you know, when, um, I don't know, I have some new friends, uh, uh, that are uh, neuroscientists, Buddhists, you know, you know, anybody like that? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you know Dr. Sarah King? Have you met her at all? I, I know of her. I don't know that uh, we've met. Yeah. She was just on the podcast. Uh, we recorded one last week. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you have the knowledge mm-hmm. about the function of consciousness at, at the highest level of the scientific paradigm, mm-hmm. how would you put that together with some kind of leap or um, 
actual experience of consciousness that uh, is um, not simply tethered to biological processes, chemical processes. Mm-hmm. So do you, have you thought about that at all? It's like, where would you stand if, the, if if push came to shove about what consciousness is or isn't? Sorry, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's, it's definitely not the brain. Mm. It's not the same. The mind is not the same as the brain. Because we know the mind is non-local. Mm. I mean, we know that we can have an impact on each other from a distance. Mm. How could we do that if, if our consciousness was just in our brain? So for me, it comes down to matter in the end is energy. And energy doesn't, isn't limited by the limitations of matter. So to have that understanding and to realize that you're in a world in which probably the very vast majority of people would not share that view. Even religious people would not necessarily, they might talk about soul Mm -hmm. or whatever, but Mm -hmm. the idea that the, um, that consciousness is some kind of field, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. is um, now many people would say, no, it's a purely materialistic process Mm -hmm. uh, and it ends, you know, at Mm -hmm. a certain point. Mm -hmm. Uh, So how religion has always carved out a space of, looking at something beyond the obvious materialistic level of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we're in a materialistic universe, that, uh, and that's almost one definition of a dark age, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pure materialism. And we do have access to quantum science, which, mm-hmm. you know, is, you know, maybe a deeper dive than, you know, it's... it's, it's uh, more true than Newtonian science, mm-hmm. <laughs> Newtonian physics. We have quantum physics, um, which has just gone deeper than, than the surface levels of Newtonian physics. And so we also have, you know, scientific avenues to reach the same insights that are in spiritual traditions. Um, so the, and, ice, the ice shelf melting... Mm-hmm. could be viewed from the Newtonian physics point of view of like, it's just a physical thing that's happened and it'll have certain causes and conditions, certain cause and effect to it. Mm-hmm. How would you view it as a quantum event? It, that means there are more possibilities, right? You know, um, I don't know. I, I would have to think about that. I think, um, You know, this larger perspective that nothing is created, nothing is destroyed, everything is just in a process of transformation. Um, You know, maybe something else is going to come from that water that has melted from the Arctic. I mean, the Earth is extremely creative and brilliant in in adapting. Not this quickly, usually, usually... (laughs) The Earth needs a little more time to figure out new solutions, but I mean, who knows? Maybe there'll there'll be some very beautiful other result of this uh, ice melt that nobody can conceive of right now. Yeah, it's um, quite a a rich moment to be vividly present and alive in 
probably has always been the case as far as you could tell. But like mm. just looking at my lifetime, something's mm -hmm. coming to a head. Yeah. You know, I was born right after World War II, which was like, mm -hmm. I, can you imagine uh, the world during that, uh, yeah. that time? And mm. it had personal repercussions, you know, mm. tribal, causal, all kinds of things. But from then on, there was there has been relative. I know people are there's warfare and there's all kinds. There has not been a world war since then, mm -hmm. a global you know a conflict that pulled everybody all in and pulled us mm -hmm. out of our norms and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'm just stating right here. I hope it never happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing Trunk Rinpoche said is we can avoid it. Mm -hmm. Our actions can avoid those mm -hmm. things happening. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's not like predetermined or so. Um, so I'm trying myself to pass along anything I might be holding in my backpack that people could use, younger people could use and go like, mm -hmm. ah, we can, we can do something with that. We can cook on mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And, and, and basically awareness practices, like we learned in our Buddha places with our mm -hmm. teachers, mm -hmm. uh, like mindfulness, we put pretty, pretty heavy, heavy emphasis uh, on mindfulness practice at Dharma Moon, just getting the, mm -hmm. your, your, grounded properly in that practice, mm -hmm. sitting practice. Um, and, you know, I don't know, have you, have you, uh, did, uh, did Thai work with Lojong slogans at all? Was that part of the Mahayana path? The mind training slogans? Uh, no, he didn't. Yeah. But, you know, formal training in compassion. Yeah. 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 So, um, any, any, uh, Anything you want to bring to the uh, to the conversation? Let, let's let's take a minute and let people know where you're going to be when. Okay. How about that? Yeah. Sure, sure. So um, I, uh, you can always find out about what I'm doing on my website. Just my name, kyrajewel.com, and um, for those who identify as BIPOC. Black Indigenous People of Color. I lead a weekly meditation group Thursdays at noon Eastern through the Garrison Institute. And that's on my website. It's on the Garrison Institute's website. That's Is that virtual though? It's virtual. It's online. Okay. Yep. So people join from all over the world. And oh, then, oh. yeah. And then um, I and my husband offer a Buddhist Christian a monthly group, um, okay. Buddhist Christian um meditation and action uh, community and um, we offer teachings from both both streams and small mentoring groups as part of that too it's by donation um, and then he and I his name is Adam Bucko he and I will uh, offer a day long at Spirit Rock on Christian and Buddhist spiritual radicals so you know invoking the the stories of a number of of people in both of these traditions to to inspire us on our when will that be that's december 9th okay it's a six hour uh, day long through spirit rock meditation center so all that's on my website i also have a monthly newsletter if people want to hear from me i write a little reflection and then share what's coming up um, in the next month or so um, with resources and so and then a new book is coming out uh, that I've co-authored with two other Black uh, women Dharma teachers in the Plum Village tradition, and that's coming out in February, called Healing Our Way Home, 
Black Buddhist teachings on ancestors, joy, and liberation. So it's a kind of conversational dialogue book. We just recorded our conversations over a few years during the pandemic, and they became chapters. Is there an audio version of that book coming out? Uh, not at this time. I'm not sure. We we haven't explored how we would do that. Yeah. You'd have to be rereading your yeah, original yeah. recordings. Yeah. Um, well, listen, you know, this is, um, it, it, there's some kind of uh, joy for me in connecting uh, with people who are out there uh, doing various pieces of this. There's some kind of hole happening. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes mm-hmm. a lot of, it takes a lot of sensing to understand the, the totality of it. Mm-hmm. But I just want to express my appreciation for, mm-hmm. to you personally for mm-hmm. the journey that you've taken, uh, which I think a lot of people will resonate with because mm-hmm. um, in, in some ways you're a product of my generation. You know, you were raised, you were born into a, a, a kind of com- communal situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if we can at Dharma Moon support you in any way, we would certainly mm-hmm. want to do that. Thank you so much. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah. That's very and, kind. Um, Hopefully we stay in touch and, and yes. um, good luck yes. with the, everything that you're you're undertaking. Thank you so much. I really wish the same to you. Maybe I'll I'll listen in on one of these Dharma Moon uh, gatherings. Yeah. yeah, you're welcome. And yeah. anything you want to uh, join in on, you just let me know and we'll figure okay. it out. Okay. okay. Thank you so much. Thank Take you. good care, David. And that concludes episode number 47 of the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast on the Be Here Now Network. Uh, We would like to begin this outro monologue by sending a deep, sincere, heartfelt thank you to Kyra Jewell for joining us on the show and for generously sharing her time, her experience, and wisdom with us and with all of you, our listeners. Also, we encourage everybody to head over to Kyra Jewell's website, kyrajewell.com, pick up a copy of her book, and consider attending her retreat on December 9th, 2023. Also, huge thanks to everybody at Be Here Now for supporting and distributing this podcast. Um, if you are listening and you enjoy this podcast, again, we encourage you to head over to BeHereNowNetwork.com to check out the ever-expanding library of podcasts emanating the world's wisdom traditions and um, also continuing Ram Dass's legacy of loving, serving, and remembering. Also, head over to dharmamoon.com. Are you like I used to be listening about podcasts, talking about meditation and spiritual practice without meditating yourself? Then I encourage you to join us at Dharma Moon and learn how to meditate. Meditate with us in community. Uh, It is a practice of peace. And peace is the way. Also, we encourage all of our listeners to like, subscribe, leave a comment, or leave a positive review for the podcast on whatever platform it is you are receiving this transmission from. It will greatly help us. And that's that, folks. Thanks for listening. It's our, uh, it's our hope that this podcast supports you in your practice, that your practice supports you in life, and in turn, that helps you support others. All right. Thank you for listening. May you be safe, healthy, happy, and at ease. All the best. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? 
When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.